0: you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. We're continuing our study of Christianity 101 from this New Testament epistle and reminding ourselves what basic Christianity, what essential Christianity is all about. And what Peter hits us with, if you recall right off at the very beginning of this letter, is that Christianity, that is this entire Christian life that we enjoy and experience, is not a man-made religion. It is, at its essence, a divine miracle of God's. That's what Peter said back in verse 3. He said to those early Christians, he said, Man, you ought to bless the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because according to His great mercy, He has caused you to be born again. That is the foundation of our entire Christian life and experience. It all begins with God. By His mercy and will, pushing us out of a domain of death, darkness, and doom and into a brand new experience of spiritual life, light, hope, and purpose. And so the Christian life is not the answer to the question of how do I work my way up to God. The Christian life is God in His mercy has already come down to me through His Son in accomplishing salvation and through His Spirit in applying it. God's already done a saving work in my life, opening my eyes to see the glory of Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross, causing me to trust in him fully for my forgiveness and salvation and reconciliation with God. God has already caused me to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, right? And so now the only issue set before you and I is this. How do I now live a life of worship and appreciation towards the God who has done all this for me? Because this is not about what I have done or am doing. The Christian life is all about what God has done, is, and one day will do. How do I, as an elect exile, chosen by God and yet being rejected by this world... How do I bless the God and Father of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's what this entire book of 1 Peter is all about, and particularly the passage that we're, go- that we're working through right now as a church. If you recall from the last time in our study, verse 13 begins with the word, Therefore... In other words, in light of the salvation that you've experienced, in light of its source and its rewards and its power and its wonder, in light of this so great salvation, be ready. Be ready. That's what we saw last time in verse 13. Peter says that you and I must set or secure our hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we who have been born again. We ought to be marked in our everyday living by a positive and confident expectation about the future. Christians should not be doom and gloom pessimists. We ought to be heavenly-minded optimists. We ought to be grounded. Our hope and expectation about the future ought to be grounded solely upon the revelation and return of Jesus Christ. Our joy, our hope, our purpose for living is to be firmly focused on that event when he who began a good work in us will one day finish it. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Man, we ought to be living in such a way that we are getting ready for that event. As Peter says there in verse 13, we ought to be preparing our minds and hearts, preparing our minds for actions and being sober-minded. We ought to be getting ourselves ready. We have countless weddings that have taken place in this church right and you who have been married know how much preparation you go through to get ready for that event an event to prepare yourself for a relationship that'll only last for a while how much more ought we be preparing to meet the one with whom we will enjoy fellowship with forever We ought to be getting ourselves ready. How? Preparing our minds for actions and being sober-minded. We ought to be getting ourselves ready for a sudden departure. As believers, we ought to be marked as those who are getting ourselves ready to stand before God. Not in a dreadful sense, because perfect love casts out all fear, but in an expectant sense, in a reverent sense, in a hopeful sense. Let me put it this way. One day we will get to stand before the King of Glory. We will get to stand before Him and look upon our Savior who poured out His very life for us. And in that day, we will be able to lay before Him our life, our deeds, our actions of appreciation and worship before Him. Indeed, our very hearts in return and in thanksgiving. We get to do that someday, you and I who have been born again in Christ. And we need to keep that in our minds and think clearly and soberly now in light of that coming day. In light of my salvation, what am I doing now that I shouldn't be? And what am I not doing now that I should be? So the first way to respond to God for our salvation is be ready. Well, there are two more ways that we are to respond to God and worship for our salvation, and that is by being righteous. as what we see in verses 14 through 16. And... Third, by being reverent. That's in verses 17 through 19. Not only be ready, but be righteous and be reverent. And just so you're aware, we'll only have time to look at that second one today. So how do you respond to God for your salvation? Be ready, be righteous, be reverent. With that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 19. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to us today. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. This is the word of God, which is well tried and loved by all his servants. Let's pray. Father, I thank You. I thank You for the truth that is set before us today as a church body. Father, we thank You for how it reminds us of who You are. How it reminds us of who Christ is, what He has done, and who we are and how we ought to live in light of that. Father, I just pray that right now Your Spirit would be at work I pray that you would equip me and my poor, lisping, stammering tongue to declare your glories. And I pray that you would, by your Spirit, quicken all those who are here this morning to hear your word, to receive it by faith, and to obey. Father, we are the clay... You are the potter. Make us into the image of Jesus Christ by one degree more, we pray, as a result of this message. In Jesus' name, Amen. So the first way that we are to worship God for the glory of our salvation is to be ready to daily have our hope secured on Christ and on His return. The second we are, way that we are to worship God daily as His people is to be righteous. And this is in verses 14 through 16. And one, by the way, really leads to the other. Being hopeful for the Lord's return leads to holy living. I think one of the reasons why the American church is dealing so fiercely with the battle for sanctification and holiness is because we no longer love and long for Christ's return. As 1 John 3, 2-3 states, When He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone, listen to this, who thus hopes in Him, purifies himself, even as He is pure see the hope in christ's return is a purifying hope it is a sanctifying hope it is one of the best things you can do in your life is to think about jesus's return how often do you think of christ's return throughout the week it ought to be the constant expectation of your heart You can't start thinking about Jesus' return without realizing there's still a lot about your own heart, life, mind, and relationships that you really ought to get straightened out before he returns. The hope of Christ's return is a purifying hope. And so Peter immediately follows up his exhortation to be ready with an exhortation to be righteous, right? If Christ in all of his grace and glory is ready to return at any moment into your life and take you to be with him, then you and I had better start making changes to our lives right now. In light of that day, we ought to drag our hidden sins and struggles into the open because one day they will be clearly seen. We ought to perform a public execution of them as much as possible today because one day they will be executed. And we ought to work on together setting ourselves free from the things that so easily entangle us because one day we will be set free from these things. We ought to together be helping each other fervently love and look unto Jesus. That's exactly what Peter is going to teach us here in this passage. Peter says this in verses 14 through 16. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed. Do not be squeezed into the mold of the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, even, there's a, even though there's a lot of phrases in that sentence, the main verb, the main point, the main exhortation Peter is getting at is right there in verse 15. You also be holy. Separate. Set apart unto God. You be holy. That is Peter's point. How are you to worship God for the great salvation that he's given to you? How ought you to respond to the fact that you now find yourself here this morning, beholding the glory of Jesus Christ, believing and being born again? How ought you to respond? Be ready. Be righteous. Be holy. Let's take a look at this. Beginning in verse 14, Peter starts by saying this as obedient children. Now notice for the very first time in this letter, we as believers... As Christians are identified here as children. And that simple designation, by the way, explains absolutely everything that we studied up to this point. Back in verse 3, we learned that we are born again. In verse 4, we learned that we have been given an inheritance. Well, ask yourself, who are those who are born? Who are those that are given an inheritance? Answer Children are. Children are. So now consider this question. Who is the one who has brought us forth? And whose inheritance have you and I received? Answer, God's. God's beloved. You and I are God's children now. Think of that. We are children. And that is the explanation for everything here at the beginning of 1 Peter Everything talked about in verses 3 through 12. Why have we been born again? Why have we been given an inheritance? Why are we right now being kept by God's power through faith for salvation, ready to reveal in the last days? It's because God, in His mercy, decided to bring us into His family and make us His children. He decided to adopt us. As Ephesians 1.5 says, according to the purpose of His own will, God has adopted us to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You see, by the new birth, God has chosen to bring us into His eternally blessed family. And as verse 17 of this chapter points out, we can now call upon God as Father. Why? Because we are His children. As Galatians 3.26 says, In Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Children of God with all the rights and privileges of firstborn sons. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, as Romans 8.17 puts it. This is a wonderful reality that we need to remember as we go through this life in trials and hardships and temptations, we must remember who we are. We are God's children now. God has caused us to be born again into his family. What a wonderful reality. And Not only are we children, but if we've been truly born again, then we are, as Peter says here, obedient children. Obedient children. And though you might miss this in the English, Peter is not making a distinction here between two types of children. Right? Peter is not saying here, well, there are two types of children of God. There are obedient children of God and there are disobedient children of God and so act like obedient children and not like the disobedient ones. That is not it at all. See, in the Greek, Peter uses a genitive case which simply means this. He's not making a distinction between children, but rather he's making a declaration about children. A declaration concerning our nature, our new nature as children of God. Peter is saying this, as children of God, you are now, by your very nature, obedient. You are now, in a sense, children of obedience, bearing the image of obedience, just as a child bears the image of his father. Now, we weren't always children of obedience, were we? No, not at all. You study Paul's writings. Over in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul uses the same genitive case that Peter uses here when he says this, And you were, before you were born again, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the, here it is, sons of disobedience. That's the same grammar used here in 1 Peter. And it describes the nature of who we were before we were born again. We were sons of disobedience. We were disobedient by nature. Disobedient in our lifestyle. Characterized by disobedience. Again, Ephesians 5, verse 6, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In both of those cases, the same case is used to describe the nature of a person. Peter does the exact same thing here. He describes what our spiritual nature is as believers now. Whereas before we came to, our, to the Lord Jesus Christ, before we were born again, we were disobedient in our nature. After coming to Jesus Christ, after being born again, we are now obedient in nature. As Paul says in Romans 6, verse 17, Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sins have become obedient from the heart. See, this is what it means to be born again. The Christian life is not trying to adopt morals on the outside. It is being born again and transformed from the inside out. Be giving an obedient heart where once there was only disobedience. Ever since the prophets, this has been the consistent testimony of scriptures. Those who are in the new covenant in Christ's blood are characterized by obedience to God. Not perfectly. But yes, absolutely characteristically. Those who are born again by God's mercy and are being kept by God's power are characterized by obedience. They are obedient children. So Peter's not making a distinction here. Between two possibilities, disobedient and obedient children. He's actually making a declaration about the only possibility that exists. If you are a child of God, if God is your father, he will not endure your disobedience. As Hebrews teaches, he will come for you as the loving father that he is, and he will discipline you, and he will bring you back to paths of righteousness for his name's sake. If you are a child of God, then you are by your very born-again nature, you are a child of obedience. Obedience is the parent whose image you bear. Again, not perfectly, but characteristically. Obedience is your pattern of life. That's what it means to be born again. Therefore, as Peter says next, live like it. Right? Live like it. As as children of obedience... As obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, as a child now of obedience, don't act like you used to act when you were a child of disobedience. Your nature has changed, so live like it. Since obedience is your new pattern of life, don't let sin and disobedience break up that pattern. Which, if we're to be honest, is the constant battle of our lives now as believers, is it not? See, even though we've been made obedient from the heart and have been given by God a new nature characterized by obedience, even though we've been born again, our new heart and our new nature is still nonetheless housed in this fallen body of flesh. Flesh that, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, is weakened towards sin. It's just another reminder that you and I are still exiles And this is not our final home yet, even physically, in what we're living in. We live in a body of death that is touched by the curse and weakened towards sin, so much so that Peter has to tell those who are obedient by nature, don't be disobedient. (laughs) Don't allow yourself to be conformed, to fall back into the patterns of thinking and behavior that you had before coming to Christ, back when you were controlled by lust, and ignorance, when those things drove your life. As 1 Peter 4-5 says, don't live in the passions of lust, right? Don't be driven by earthly, fleshly impulses like the Gentiles do who don't know God. Don't be conformed to this world, as Romans 12-2 says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Make a complete break with your former way of thinking and living. This is what it means to be a believer to be someone who's been born again do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance verse 15 but as he who called you is holy you also be holy in all your conduct in other words don't be like who you used to be be like god that's what he's saying be like god be like the one whose image you now bear as being a child of god that's exactly what we learned earlier, if you remember back in Colossians 3, 8-10, when Paul wrote these words to us, Put away all anger, wrath, evil intent, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. And do not lie to one another. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. This is exactly what Peter is saying here. You're different now. You are a child of Him who is obedience, of Him who is holiness, so act like it. Be obedient. Be holy. Be righteous. God says it again over in Ephesians 4:22 22-24 when he says, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So that's the pathway to righteousness of growing in holiness. It's becoming less and less like who I used to be and it's becoming more and more like who God is who called me into his holiness as ephesians 1 4 says he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless so think about that regarding your own life this morning god saved you so that you could be holy in this world for him therefore peter says this don't act like you used to act right It is impossible to be born again and to keep on living like nothing has changed. Don't act like how you used to act, and start acting like the God who saved you and has called you this holy calling. You want to bless God for your new birth? Be holy in all your conduct. Be righteous. Now that's pretty broad, isn't it? I was sitting there when I was studying it this week and last week and saying, okay, how do I apply be holy in all of your conduct But what I realize is that the Holy Spirit already is bringing to your mind some area of your life where you're still conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. He's already taking this passage and he is illuminating an area of your life that needs to change. The issue is then, how do I start that process? right In that area of my life, how do I start acting and being holy, being holy in all my conduct? how how do I start growing in holiness and you know what I want to share with you a lesson that took me a whole long time to learn and is still even now taking a longer time to put into practice how do I grow in practical holiness here it is the key to growing in practical holiness is not by focusing on all your sins And that's what we often think it is don't we And we hear a sermon on holiness like I'm giving to you today, right? And we think, oh man, I'm a failure. (laughs) I've got all these sins I need to deal with. I'm going to make a list and I'm going to start focusing on putting them all to death one by one by one by one by one. Can I tell you, I have walked that path of legalism and it is heavy. Listen if that's your resolve, I'm going to make a list of all my sins and I'm going to start trying to put them to death one by one by one by one by one. Listen, I guarantee you, first, you missed some on that list. <laughs> and second, it is true. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And we do have all of these sins that we need to put to death by the Spirit within us. But the way to go about that is not ultimately by focusing ultimately on our sins the key to growing in practical holiness in our lives is ultimately found by focusing on God I've been learning this as a parent we even as human beings we learn to act by spending time with people And we as children of God learn to act like our Heavenly Father by spending time with Him. We become what we behold, as has been said by many people before me. Just like a child slowly picks up idiosyncrasies and mannerisms simply by being around his or her parents, we pick up holiness by simply spending time with God in His Word, in prayer, and with His people. As we become more and more familiar with God's thoughts and God's ways, we become, as Ephesians 5, 1 says, imitators of God as beloved children. I know, there's a sin that you're struggling with. I get it. And yes, you need someone in your life to keep you accountable about that sin. But you you know what you also need that believer in your life about? To keep you accountable in your own walk with God. How are you not only putting sin to death, but how are you doing in beholding Christ daily? We need, to be, we need to learn and become more familiar of God's thoughts and God's ways, become imitators of God as beloved children so that we can slowly be transformed as our scripture uh, reading said this morning in 2 Corinthians 3.18, be slowly transformed from one degree of glory into another. So that's how we grow in practical holiness. I wish I could have said that. I didn't have to wait till I was 37 years old to be able to articulate that to somebody. But it's not by focusing on your sin. It's by focusing on the God who is Holy. That's how we grow and become increasingly righteous. It's by focusing on the God who has saved us and called us to this holy calling. We become what we behold. And so Peter tells us here the best way to respond to God in worship for your salvation is to pursue a knowledge of him and his holiness. Pursue that family likeness. Pursue that reflection of God's righteousness in your life. How? By making a complete break with your former way of thinking and living. And by the merits of Christ, drawing near to our most beloved God so that we might be transformed in our thinking and living. As believers, we are called to respond like this. We are called to holiness. And then verse 16 says this. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And I absolutely love this. Peter instructs us here as believers to bless God for our new birth by being holy, by being consecrated, by being increasingly set apart from sin unto God. We are to praise and worship and glorify our saving God by being holy and righteous like Him. But why? What is the motivation to follow this command by the grace and power of God? Well, you could say, It's because God commanded it, right? He said it, that's so, right? And that would be true. We just saw that in verse 15. You also be holy. It is written, God said it, that settles it. But what's interesting is that is not Peter's argument here. That's not quite what Peter says. See, here in verse 16, Peter quotes Leviticus 19, verse 2. But instead of translating the Hebrew into Greek in order to emphasize the imperative of the command, right, you should be holy, he translates Leviticus 19, verse 2 in order to communicate and emphasize the future sense of the word. You shall be holy. By choosing to translate it in this way, Peter emphasizes for us That this is more than just a command here to be holy. This is actually a promise here that we will be holy. And that is the motivation that Peter gives to live a holy and a righteous life. We should be holy because we shall be holy. We have a promise from God that he who began a good work in us will finish it, as Philippians 1.6 says. That there is, even as verse 13 says, the previous verse, there is grace that is going to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There is a day coming when we shall not only be declared holy by God, but we shall be holy in the presence of God. A day when we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. (laughs) When all the sin is gone. And the victory is won. And we stand not only in an imparted righteousness, imputed and declared to us, but in a real righteousness realized in our life. Revelation 4 and 7 details this. When those who have been bought by the brother of the Lamb are pictured in the presence of God with crowns on their heads, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, singing and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Those are brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are you, That is you and I in the presence of God as a part of that number, declaring salvation belongs to God. Victorious, we are delivered, we are triumphant in that day, we are holy. Take heart, believer, in the midst of your fight for holiness, for God's glory. Do you see the promise behind it all? As 1 Corinthians eight says, God will sustain you to the end. To what end? Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There have been some days in my fight for sanctification where I did not believe that. But it is true nonetheless, if you are born again, you shall be holy, for he is holy. Take heart. We shall be holy, therefore we should be. That's Peter's logic. In light of the glorious hope of holiness graciously laid up for you in Christ, do battle for holiness, for the glory of God. Now, where you stand, where you sit this morning fight believer because the battle's already been won that's peter's argument i think of this scene from the two towers i'm sorry i'm a nerd the wizard gandalf has to leave his friends in a tough place but before he leaves he tells them look to my coming at first light on the fifth day at dawn look to the east Well, as the story progresses, by the time the fifth day comes, Gandalf's friends are nearly overrun. The enemy's forces have them utterly cut off and surrounded in darkness. It feels like all hope has been lost. And all of a sudden, in the faint brightening of the sky, they remember the promise. Look to my coming. At first light on the fifth day, at dawn, look to the east. And remembering that promise, Gandalf's friends throw all caution to the wind. They plow out of their refuge and they plunge straight into the heart of the enemy's forces to do battle. Though vastly outnumbered, they fight with hope, with courage, and with all of their heart. Why? Because they know they're not alone. They have a promise. The battle's already been won. They just have to fight until they see it. And true enough, true to his promise, on first light of the fifth day, Gandalf comes from the east and delivers them from all their dark foes. And you say, man, why did Tolkien write stuff like that? It's because it's biblical. We as Christians, we live our lives, and it's true. Man, we struggle, and we fall, and we fail. And sometimes the battle for holiness becomes so fierce, we almost think we can't, take another step, but you know what we do? We fight. We lift each other up by the grace of God. We help each other back into our saddles. We point to the rising of the sun and we ride out together and battle for holiness with courage and zeal and faith and endurance. We don't give up. Why? Because we live beneath a promise. We don't fight for holiness in our lives because it depends on us. We fight for holiness in our lives because it depends on God and He's already won the battle. It was won the moment God spoke this promise. It is finished. You shall be holy. And that, here's why that promise is so sure. Peter says this, You shall be holy. Why? For I am holy. You see, we, we who are born again and have trusted in Christ for our salvation, we are God's children now. Peter just taught us that. We belong to Him. We are His children. And He is our Father. And with all the affection that a father could ever have for his own, He promises you shall be holy. This is my confidence when the sky seems so dark and my sins seems so strong. And my shame seems to grab me by the neck and throw me down. I must remember God has spoken over me. That man, that woman, that child shall be holy. For I am holy and he is mine. As God promises over in Leviticus 20 verse 26. You shall be holy to me. For I the Lord am holy. And I have separated you from among the peoples that you should be mine. As believers, this is our confidence in our fight for holiness, our relationship with God. In Christ Jesus, we are God's children now, and He will not let us go. He will fulfill His purpose in us. We shall be holy, for He is holy. Therefore, be holy and be righteous. This is how we worship God in light of our new birth. As obedient children, Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is how to bless and worship and praise God for the great salvation that he's given us. Be righteous. Christian, I urge you today, don't just hear this passage and walk out. be sober-minded. I urge you to act on this word. This morning, if God has convicted your heart over an area of your life that is still conformed to the passions and lusts of your former ignorance, if God's convicted you regarding an area of your life that still needs to be touched by the transforming, purifying grace of Christ, and I know he has, I want you to know that this battle, that this is a battle that you do not and cannot fight on your own. It is a battle that must be waged with all the weapons that God has given you. God's word and prayer, yes, but also God's people. I encourage you today to talk to another believer here whom you trust. If you're not sure of where to start, talk to me. Show someone here the battlefield that you're facing. Show them the face of every passion in your life that must be slain. And let them fight with you in this battle for holiness. Let them help you up and encourage you, even as you do the same for them, to look to Jesus and to our holy and fatherly God. And most of all, believer, I want to encourage you this morning, in your fight for holiness, don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Maybe as you look at yourself today, the battle seems so overwhelming and beyond hope. Listen, I've been there. I know And in many areas of my life, I'm still tempted to think that. In the battle for holiness, yes, look at yourself. But don't stop there. Look to God and look to Christ. As Robert Murray McShane once wrote, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. See His purity. See His promise. See His people. And together, let's strive Let's do battle and let's fight for holiness until the day when we shall stand holy before the Lord in glory. This is how we live as elect exiles in this world for the glory of God. Blessing God for our great salvation is by being ready and it is by together being righteous. We'll have to look at the final way next week, but for now, this is the word of God from First Peter one fourteen through 16, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until the true holy one Jesus Christ returns for us to that end as the men come forward or excuse me to that end let's let's pray father i thank you so much for this passage of scripture father how your word is living and active Piercing to the divided asunder of soul and spirit and as a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We thank you for the heart surgery that you have performed on us today. We thank you for exposing and showing us who we are. Not only in a negative sense, yes, we are sinners, but also in a positive sense, we are children of yours. Walking this pilgrimage, not alone, but with other brothers and sisters who will help us. So, Father, I pray that as we we leave this place, we would grab someone, a fellow soldier here at Grace Chapel, and we would invite them onto our battlefields so that together, looking under the promise, we would strive to honor you in all our conduct this week. Help us, Father, to be ready together to be made righteous as we look forward to that day when we shall stand before you in glory. Give us grace this week to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.